When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the first bonus episode of Failed State Update. This is Joseph L. Flatley. Today I'm bringing you an interview that I did with uh, Chuck Ocelli, a podcaster and broadcaster. has a uh, podcast called The Ocelli Effect that's also broadcast on a few stations. And uh, he's always been a great supporter of my work, and I had a really good time talking to him, so I thought I'd bring the highlights to you in this episode We'll be talking about my show um, and kind of get into like the world around us and why I think we need a failed state update and why I think I'm the man to do it. If you want to check out the whole thing, go to Ocelli.com. And while I got you here, I'd like to mention the so-called Prophet from Pittsburgh, my other podcast, an eight-part investigative series that looks into the founder and the various members and ex-members of a UFO cult in Arizona called the Global Community Communications Alliance. It originally aired in January and February of this year, but we still have regular bonus content coming out. So if you haven't heard it yet, or if it's been a while since you checked in, make sure you look up the so-called Prophet from Pittsburgh on your favorite podcast app. Or for information about any of my projects, go to LennyFlatley.net. to just kick right into the discussion with Joseph L. Flatley in case you forgot or I put you to sleep. LennyFlatley.net. He's an author, a podcaster, a media creator, just a hell of an interesting guy and somebody who, believe it or not, I have the idea and before all this, you know, lockdown and nonsense and travel restrictions and God knows what's going on, um, I was discussing with people trying to move, not, not to be next door to Joseph where he is, but to be in his general area. And, and believe it or not, that's one of the reasons why I want to go there, because I will actually move to sit down and have a beer with this guy. Why? Because I know it'll be worth the trip. 
Anyway, like I said before, Trippy at his website, worth the trip. Go over to Joseph, uh, to, to LennyFlatley.net and see the work of Joseph L. Flatley, which is in written form. You can get it in digital form. You can get podcasts, the so-called Prophet from Pittsburgh. But that's not what we're talking about today. I love the title and everything <laughs> that, that I'm seeing regarding. Now, I, I have not. Here it is, full disclosure. I have not listened to this podcast. But I'm looking at the imagery. I'm looking at the flag in distress, which is being held in a picture at LennyFlatley.net. And the the title in and of itself is striking as it is, as relevant as it is. Failed state update. Punchy, catchy. I love it. Failed state update. And what does it say? It is, uh, let's see, stories and conversations from the end of America. I know that immediately evokes Aaron Russo and that documentary and... Lots of my thoughts over the past few years. So, Joe, first of all, man, before we get into the uh, creation of and the basis for and what's in the podcast, how you doing tonight? You know, I'm doing all right. Um, I'm doing as, as well as, you know, can be expected. Um, you know, I've, I'm definitely not the first journalist that I've spoken to who has pointed out that their lives are basically like, you know, some variation of lockdown anyways, just as a, as a writer and as a, you know, so it's like, so my life hasn't changed too, too much, but, um, but yeah, um, happy to be busy, happy to have a roof over my head and, uh, happy to be doing your show. I find it extremely fascinating that you're doing this stories and conversations from the end of America, the failed state. I mean, that is a, a, a bold sort of, um, statement <laughs> if you think about it failed state update so think about this for a second the failed state obviously we're talking about america because america's in the imagery we get it and i have been discussing the fall of the american empire for a while so let's just start with that sentiment right there and also the flag in distress the imagery i love it it's very like looks like it was shot with a kodak disc camera i love it and I know I'm old because probably nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about with a Kodak disc camera, unless you're at least over the age of 50. But I'm telling you, that's what the pictures used to look like. Explain to me how it is you came to do this, please. Well, you know, I um, and first of all, thank you for all the kind words. Um, but, you know, I, I came up with this. I had this phrase in my head, failed state update for years, you know, like, um, you know, after having, like many of us, have come to realize that America is, it's either a failed state, or it's becoming a failed state, or, you know, it's sure seems like a failed state. You know, there's just all these indicators that the government is doing its thing to enrich the oligarchs, and the rest of us are out of luck. Um, So I had this phrase in my head, and basically whenever I saw, like, bad news on the web, you know, I'd be like, oh, I got to read that later. There's another failed state update. You know, it was just like my little clever phrase that I quote unquote clever phrase that I used in my own head when reading the news in the morning. And then, um, yeah, uh, then this, you know, COVID happened and I'd been looking for, I'd been looking for a concept for a podcast. Like this is kind of like a, um, I used to, and perhaps one day again, we'll do these interviews on your show, um, which which we called the Bad Ideas Department. And this is kind of a carries on from that theme. And basically, 
I see the concept of the failed state just as kind of the umbrella to explore the various aspects, to have conversations about and to kind of interrogate the fact that we live in this like cyberpunk dystopia, you know, that, um, that, you know, the COVID and the reaction to the COVID and then the, the economic collapse we're about to experience is kind of like highlighting the fact that America has been in bad shape for a long time, but it's, doesn't mean that it hasn't been in a bad shape for a long time. It's just most of us or some of us were relatively wealthy enough to kind of like be able to ignore the worst of it. But I don't think that's going to be the case much longer. So I'm just, you know, this is kind of me uh, planting my flag on the moon and saying, you know, this is my uh, beat that I'll be covering for now on. These subjects, you know, militias, cults, whatever, they might be fringe-seeming, but I I don't talk down to them, and I really think they are part of the lo- broader American experience. You know, when I cover subjects like this, it's not like Vice Magazine I smoked DMT and talked to a Hell's Angel or, you know, <laughs> whatever they do, you know. I It's it's very much, I'm, I'm covering it with, like, the respect and the you know, the attention that I would cover any subject, quote unquote, serious. And what I'm finding with, you know, our current, you know, the current end of the world or what feels like the end of the world um, is that a lot of these subjects that I've been covering that were really pushed to the margins of American life are now coming closer into, you know, coming closer to a more universal being a more universal part of American life. So, you know, the um, perfect example would be these uh, anti-quarantine, anti-lockdown protests. You know, it's like everybody's locked down. Everybody has a, you know, a dog. uh, What's the phrase? A dog in this fight (laughs) or whatever. You know, everybody has a perspective on this. Um, So when you see, you know, these like huge mass, these huge protests with guns and you know, and people, you know, protesting, you know, this really kind of absurd behavior. I mean, I would say absolutely absurd behavior. But when you see that, and it actually is relevant to most people's lives these days, it's kind of makes you think, well, it feels like we're all going crazy. It feels like mass insanity on some right. level. And there's a weird aspect to this that I want to cut with you. I want to, and, and I have not tried to really, I, I asked Mike Swanson about this. He kind of glossed over it and I don't expect him to do anything different. I asked JP about it. We got into a philosophical rant on other things. I actually want to dissect something with you. <laughs> okay. Well, those are two big shoes to fill, but yes, but, but see, here's the thing. I know you'll have the patience to do this. Here, here it is. And and, and I, I wouldn't even ask Pierce Redmond to do this, to be honest with you, which I, I would I would love to. And, I, and I, I, I would I would appreciate what he would say, but I guarantee you he's not going to get to the root of the issue. OK, <clears throat> let me see if I can ask you this question. <clears throat> Excuse me, I should have taken a drink first, but OK, the thing is. I see people making efforts. Okay, let's take what you were just talking about, these protests, all right? Now, on the one level, I can see the point of basically saying, look, I declare for myself what my freedoms are. 
that is a sentiment which I can get behind. I've talked to you about this before where I'm not so liberal. I'm maybe a little more libertarian than libertarian, but only on certain levels, right? Here's one of these things. You don't ask for permission from the government to do what it is you do, okay? Because that's asking for permission. That's asking for a privilege. That is not freedom. So I can get on board with the idea of the government should not be telling us when to conduct business, how far it is we can be from people or anything else. We, in our freedom, remember freedom is not equivalent to safety, should be allowed to determine these things for ourselves. Okay? I get that, but these people are not protesting on that basis. They're literally arguing with their parents. You know what I mean? It's like 11-year-old going, but I can stay out past dark. I know how. And they're not saying, you know what? I am somebody who's in charge of my own destiny. And therefore, because if that was the case, they wouldn't be protesting. They would just be acting. Okay. And there you have it. I can agree with the sentiment, but I watched the execution. And the reason why the two things don't match up in my mind is because people have everything so convoluted in their minds at this point. And, and realistically, it's probably more about the cabin fever aspect of it than anything. It's not even about their freedoms. Like they wouldn't care. They would probably stay in their house most of the time. <laughs> but because it seems like they're being restricted because somebody put out a policy and, you know, some people are being manhandled for not wearing a mask in the proper place and being thrown out of this place and that place and the third because they didn't come in with a mask and how dare you. And OK, all of that is going on and it's pushing in all these weird directions. And even the people that claim to be caring about everyone are not feeling bad when you get beat up for not wearing a mask because <laughs> violating your civil liberties is OK because you're wearing this mask to protect everybody else from you and realistically how weird is it that it took this to reveal to some people because i know you know a, a lot more people are noticing that the logic on these political positions the logic on people's you know uh, positions when it comes to their personal freedoms is so off kilter and convoluted that people don't even know why they're taking the actions they're taking. Again, I can support people who are pushing back against the government should not tell me how to conduct my personal life. Absolutely. But telling them that they need to change their position is not the way to go. <laughs> See, and, and those who want to protect everybody from everybody else, here's the other thing. Giving edicts and policies from government. And then expecting that somebody else who does have cabin fever and thinks they're out there for the freedoms. Um, yeah, confronting those people on Twitter isn't going to get the effect you want either. So it's a bunch of people out there with half-hearted philosophies doing half-hearted actions to have half-hearted results. And there is no result. Actually, it's just still the same thing I said at the beginning of the show with the tons of confusion that are just thrown into the uh, hopper, so to speak. And, you know, whatever draws up, draws up, and therefore that's the reality I want to see. Forget about the rest of what's actually in the hopper. It's cherry-picked reality. 
And it seems like everybody is suffering from this. You know, first of all, you can't deny the fact that the protests, the anti-lockdown protests are like two parts cabin fever, you know, one part this kind of lingering, weird libertarian thing that, you know, is pretty divorced from reason (laughs) or that, you know, comes from, you know, you know, the militia attitude that, you know, comes from kind of like a faulty understanding of of history and politics and and you know and a big part of it is the fact that these uh these astroturf uh you know tea party groups like turning point usa are putting money into it because they're trying to rile up the base and create a you know a political outcome which you know i mean that part is not to be um is not to be uh ignored but you know it's interesting you mentioned JP because I had him on the second episode of uh, Failed State Update, and we started talking about Generation X because I believe you're 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 a member of Generation X as am I and JP, and um, you know it's like I think that gives us an interesting perspective because you know my view has always been I'm going to do whatever I damn well please. It's not as if I'm like standing up to the government or. I just don't think it exists. <laughs> like it just doesn't enter my headspace. Like I'm not going out because I don't want to get COVID-19. And I mean, and that's the end of it and beginning of it and end of it for me. And um but but look at you know the concept of the failed state. One of the hallmarks of a failed state is that the government loses its legitimacy. And I think in the eyes of most Americans for many many years now the United States' government is considered more and less illegitimate. And I'm not talking about in a uh, militia uprising way. I'm just saying, like, it has no relevance in my life. So, yeah, so they're going to tell us now, <laughs> this this group that's done nothing except make us pay taxes, this government that has overseen, like, a massive, like, stripping of wealth from the middle class and the working class and given it to oligarchs, we're going to listen to them when they tell us what's, you know, how to stay safe. It's like they actually don't know how to, you know, how to tell us to stay safe. That's why there's so much confusion at the federal level. And that's why New York State took forever to close up its board, you know, to look, go into lockdown. So it, it's just a mess. And we're all kind of left to figure out what's going on. So I don't blame people or I don't. You know, I don't blame people for uh, protesting the lockdown. I don't. I can understand why. But I think it's much bigger than just individual freedoms. I think they're obviously being used by political operatives to, uh, you know, get make political hay. And I think a lot of people are going to die because of that. See, now, that's an interesting perspective. But realistically, based on the numbers that they have purported, see, here, here's where you and I are of two different opinions on the reality. <clears throat> based on the numbers that are purported, I have absolutely zero fear about going out. Uh, I, I am looking at it as, yes, this is a bad thing. Yes, we have seen bad things before. Certainly, there are people that are going to be affected. Uh, I got really, really sick. Uh, at one point and everybody who, you know, I took a little, little few days off and couldn't, couldn't quite get things together. I was on the air with, with a great deal of fever and I was, uh, I had some kind of flu. I I didn't have a COVID test to be honest with you, but, uh, you know, but those are actually hard to come by here in Georgia. 
different sort of place. I, well, I just know what I see in front of me, right? Um, <clears throat> now, I know there are reports from all different parts of the country, a little bit different. And the idea that, you know, how dare you? You're a reckless individual because I'm not wearing a mask. I have not gone out wearing a mask once. Uh, I don't go out a lot to begin with, but I, I, I'm not bothered by it. Matter of fact, I find it really strange that if I go to buy, uh, you know, because I, I still smoke. All right, everybody go ahead and lecture me if you want. But the thing is, I go to a store to go buy a pack of cigarettes, and I've got a, a, a plastic sheet in between me and the cashier, and I'm wondering to myself, you know, is this actually effective? <laughs> you know, the dangling sheet there, and, oh, you're not allowed to refill your coffee cup. This is the kind of commerce I participate in, right? So you can't bring in your coffee cup, you know, get your refill price now. You have to buy one of their cups because they don't want germs spreading. It's like, I, I don't think that this is even a smart idea because it seems to me as though our exposure to various, uh, unfortunately, sometimes fatal things, but for the most part, not so fatal things, germs, diseases, viruses, whatever you want to call them, is actually just part of life. And sometimes they're nastier than others. And I, you know what? Even if, even if I were to die from the COVID virus, I got to tell you, it's just like, well, I would have died from something. You know, I, I'm just... I don't know. I don't have this attitude of fear, and I find it really strange. Um, and, and I respect your attitude that you want to stay home, right? <laughs> I do. If that's what you want to do, do it. Um, do what you think is best for you, brother. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't, you know, it's it's very, you know, liberals on Twitter, which we shouldn't confuse with reality, you know, they, you know, they're always looking for something to get mad about. So, you know, um, my neighbors <laughs> last week, they threw a party, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, what are these guys doing? I didn't say anything to them. Like I get it, but they had a birthday party and it turned out that that wasn't even the birthday party. That was like the pre cleanup birthday party. <laughs> so like the next day I had like, you know, two dozen kids running around my neighborhood and all these adults without masks and stuff. And I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, I live in a, like a lower middle class neighborhood with a, a lot of African Americans. They're they're all going to work. <laughs> they, they have to, you know, they're riding on public transportation. They're like they're taking care of like older relatives, you know. So it's like they're, you know, what is you know wearing masks at a party going to do? If if it's going to take anybody out, it's going to take them out because, you know. Uh, you know, unless you're like a privileged person, you don't even really get to avoid the COVID if it's in your neighborhood. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is we should have the option to do what, you know, the medical authorities say is, you know, best practice. We don't have the option because, you know, you know, all I'm saying is have Jeff Bezos pay his taxes and then give a check to anybody who wants to stay home. You know, and then and if you don't want to stay home, well, you know, we'll see if you're right or not. And I mean, that it should be that simple, but it's not that simple because what it's become is it started as confusion. Now it's this like cash grab by Silicon Valley and um, Big Pharma. And it's just which is, you know, that's how it would play out in a failed state. I, you know, 
I think my podcast, and I think what a lot of people are doing, a lot of people who are doing good work are doing, is I'm not the only person who's had this insight, is kind of um, documenting the kind of like split between what we're being told America is or society is and what it really is. You know, it's like, you know, we're being told to um, tune into the coronavirus task force and listen for our marching orders every day. But really what needs to happen is, and is happening is like community relief. You know, these decentralized radical groups are going out and delivering food and making sure people have masks and, you know, working on healthcare. I, I was, I had the pleasure of going to new Orleans a year after Katrina, mm. a friend of mine worked with, um, common ground, which was a, uh, an anarchist, uh, decentralized, uh, response to the, all the crises involved in, uh, with Katrina. So we were hanging out in the upper ninth ward and people were, uh, uh, fixing houses and gathering food and make, making, sure people had medicine or making sure people had uh, health care the common ground if i if i remember correctly was also involved in a lot of um just general cleanup yes uh, because there was a lot of problems afterwards with uh disease Mm -hmm. uh because of you know very unsanitary sort of uh, unsettled circumstances there in in the area and uh it, it was one of those things that really didn't get a lot of notice Oh, uh, no. It was, um, I mean, it was talk about not letting a good crisis go to waste. They, uh, you know, they use it as an opportunity to bulldoze public housing. And I took tours of this public housing, and it was beautiful. It was the kind of place that if it was in New York, people would, you know, be fighting each other to pay $2,000 a month to live in, you know? And it was structurally fine. There was, you know, the, the, um, you know, the hurricane didn't do anything to make these places unlivable, but they wanted to basically get the black people out of these areas that, you know, they could flip and turn into high priced condos or, you know, high, high priced loft living for rich people. And, um, it was crazy. It was like a war zone. It was, it was literally like reserve units that had just gotten back from Iraq who were like, you know, patrolling the streets in their Humvees and stopping people. And if you didn't have ID, throwing you in jail. Right. Um, it was nuts. Um, and I think that was, it was just a little taste of what what we have to come um, on some level. I mean, I don't think America is going to necessarily look much different over the next few years, but it's going to feel a lot different. And um, I think in the inequality is only going to grow. That's my my fear. But you need people to document that. So that's kind of what what I'm trying to do here.
So I mentioned before, you know, like one of my aims with this podcast too is to, as often as possible, do these kind of like long form audio documentaries, um, more like a TV news magazine program than, you know, a conversational podcast. And, um, and that, that takes a lot of work. And between trying to write to pay my uh, car payment and, you know, and doing interviews to like try to get an episode out once a week. Um, I haven't had a ton of time to do like the, the long form stuff. The, so the first one, episode three was that my first long form, uh, audio documentary was a uh, friend of the show, friend of your show and mine, uh, Laura Johnston Cole. We talked about, you know, she was for the listeners. I, I will say that, you know, she was a member of the people's temple and actually lived in Jonestown almost up to the very end. And, um, and what we talked about, because the danger with talking about people's temples, everybody wants to like start with the mass murder, suicide, and kind of only talk about Jones himself and really hit the um, the salacious details. But, you know, Laura's story and the story of a lot of members of people's temple is that of a uh, political, you know, progressive, uh, political radical, even you could say, um, who was kind of like flitted around with radical politics in the 1960s and then joined People's Temple because it was sold to her as a radical political organization that was taking on, you know, race, racism and uh, American empire, you know, the war in Vietnam, you know, the same inequalities and the same problems that existed in 1978 exist now, you know, 40 two years later or whatever it is. And the same, you know, in the same apocalyptic end of the world type thing was going on then that is going on now, you know, you know, different in form, maybe or different in substance, but you know, the same kind of weird times. And when things get weird and desperate, people get weird and desperate and they start listening to, uh, gurus and you know rogue messiahs like uh jim jones and i think it's a important cautionary tale i mean there's only going to be more jim joneses going forward i think maybe not to the scale but um you know as the uh as all the uh system as the system falls apart and all you know the established you know cornerstones of uh of american life religion politics the media you know, that's all gone bye-bye. So people are going to have to fill those holes with something. And, you know, you know, maybe uh, maybe if you hear Laura's story, you'll think, um, you know, the next time you hear from a messiah, you'll go, that guy sounds an awful lot like Jim Jones. I think I'm just going to take a pass. Yeah, you keep hoping for that. But, you know, there's an interesting portion of what you just said there that I, I don't want to let go without emphasizing. And that is that this concept that people think is somehow new mm -hmm. that and again, this speaks to what we were talking about in the first hour when we started talking about the militias and being ready for the armed conflict. And it's coming. It's coming. And the MAGA hat wearers who also believe that a civil war is just on the horizon. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was a kid in 1978 and I remember adults talking like that back then. So, you know what? This is not new. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm, I mean... My own observations, I know we can read history in people's books, but I'm telling you now 
that this has hung in the air for like 40 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, easily. And there's always so, been some creep that could um, take advantage of it to either get rich or to uh, manipulate people. Yes. And, and that's another interesting aspect to the so-called prophet from Pittsburgh. Uh, which, you know, again, is another podcast series, which you did do an honorable job of capturing the uh, the feel and sound, in my opinion, uh, of the documentary style podcast, which is weird because I did not expect you to do that. Uh, but I didn't did- expect to do it either. Um, I, you know, it was my first podcast aside from doing interviews for you and um you know, I've never even attempted a podcast, but I've done short form documentaries, like five minute, ten minute video documentaries for the internet. And um, you know, I like I guess that's the part of my brain that kicked in when I started editing this thing. So, no, and great stuff. I mean, you did it basically on your own, right? Yeah, I had a um, a friend a uh, who kind of executive produced, meaning that um, we we talked about it a lot, and um, he conducted a couple of interviews and, um, you know, went for me on like an interview trip, but, um, you know, that was all kind of high level stuff, but the actual writing, recording, editing, yeah, that was all me. Yeah. See, I produced like a 15 minute or, or 20 something minute thing once. And you know what? I needed a lot of help from somebody else and it is not easy. You just apparently have a pretty good, you know, just skill set for this. Um, some people, Hey, look, some people have natural ability, others practice, 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 but, um, it's, it's really remarkable. I just want to say again, that is something you should check out as well. Not, not only the new one, but, uh, go back and take a listen to the so-called prophet from Pittsburgh. Obviously I'm not talking to you, Joe, you've heard it, but, uh, I'll, I'll never listen to that piece of crap. Uh, okay, cool. But the failed state update, I'm telling you right now, which I'm adding the to it because I'm an idiot. Failed state update uh, is is definitely something that sounds like we're going to we're going to have to run it, like I said, on the network here. Uh, and also, I think uh, how, how long do you think this one will run for? Do you have a limited uh, engagement planned here or is this a permanent thing? No, I think this is my uh, my job for a while. You know, I mean, this is. You know, it's always kind of everything I've done has kind of fell under the umbrella of the failed state or look how screwed up society is or look how people are being manipulated. And, um, you know, I just kind of came across this title and it kind of gives like, you know, kind of makes more explicit the theme of all my work. So, um, you know, as long as I can, I'm going to keep this up. I mean, it's not like the world's going to. It's not like the uh, the state is going to unfail as we go on these next few years, you know. So, yeah. So I'm going to keep at it. Well, look at it this way. You know, for those that think, uh, you know, the, the entirety of the reality is going to be destroyed under uh, Agent Orange there in the White House, I beg you to remember that there were a handful of Roman emperors uh, during the fall. Uh, you know, it wasn't just during the Rome, uh, the, the, the reign of Caligula that, uh, you know, Rome got weird or Nero, uh, you know, I'm just saying there was a lot of interesting stops along the way. So I, I, I really don't foresee the sudden, um, incarnation of the civil war returning to us anytime soon. All the dead, it's been an effect. 
You and I grew up grew up in the eighties. Nineteen eighty five is considered by a lot of historians as actually the most dangerous point in the Cold War. Most people assume it would be during, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis. But actually, the eighties, you know, um, United States and Soviet Union were, you know, within a hair's breadth of nuking each other. And people who weren't alive then don't really understand like the massive kind of psychological weight that that really holds on a lot of people that were kids at that time. And that kind of gave me the perspective that, you know, it's it's very weird and unnatural to be thinking about nuclear winter and nuclear war and the sudden excruciating death of you and everyone you love when you're like in the second grade or the third grade. Even when you don't know what any of those words means, there's a vibe. They were shoving it down our throats. Uh, yeah, but even as a kid, it was like, yeah. It was like you were a kid and it was like I was young, you know, and it was like I didn't know what it all meant or what all the, um, you know, I didn't know what it all meant. I didn't, you know, couldn't define all the terms, but I just knew that something very heavy and very scary was hanging in the air. And I just kind of I think there's a uh, a massive psychological component to um, Armageddon and not only, you know, that you have psychological trauma from being under the gun like that. But also I think people are attracted to ideas about Armageddon and become preppers, you know, in a sense that since they can't comprehend what that would really mean, it's like there's a small part of in the back of the brain that just wants everything to change, just wants the world to change. And um, I think we're living that as much as the dread of like, you know, are we going to be under lockdown for two years? Are we going to die of COVID? I think that um, people want to change the system and the system is so omnipotent, is so big and heavy that we think that it would, you know, we kind of like envision an apocalypse of some sort just to like get us out of this mess. Yeah, well, there, look, there's a reason why in in the, uh, the the birth of the Terminator universe, there was the concept of the post-apocalyptic nuclear war scenario. We had war games as a kid, as a popular movie, Matthew Broderick, you remember that, I'm sure. Uh, you know, we, we had the day after the grand television event, which, you know, really shook up a lot of people, and me included, by the way, as a kid. Um you know, I, I've told the story on air that I wrote a letter to President Reagan explaining to him that I thought it was absolutely insane that we were continuing to build nuclear weapons. It's how I got my FBI file opened. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> that's a true story. But 12. Oh, man, I'm so jealous. <laughs> you know, I mean, but it was in the air. It was there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, after the, you know, it's funny because if you take a look at all the, uh, you know, atomic-based superheroes and things of that, of the previous generation, and then you look at the iconography that was put out through popular culture at the time we were growing up, it is no wonder that in the 90s everybody let loose when we didn't blow up. Right, right. Because we're waiting on it. I mean, it was like, we could just make a mistake and all of a sudden the whole world will be wiped out. You know, I, I think there's a... um a real parallel between generation X and the survival survivalist mentality in the sense that like, 
when you're a kid, when you're 10 years old and the day after is on and, you know, Ronald Reagan's talking about the evil empire and they're not even telling you you can, like, duck under your desk and survive this thing anymore. It's like if it happens, you're done. You're donezo. You know, um, a certain type of survival mentality kicks in. You know, you, you hunker down. You know, if you're not literally, you know, taking you know, survival supplies and, you know, building a bunker, you're metaphorically, you know, you're probably a latchkey kid. You're going home and locking the doors after school and your parents are at work. And so you're, you know, you're watching MTV and eating junk food and kind of like creating a safe psychological space and, and not venturing out into the world. Right. And I'm being asked a question, which is vaguely kind of being asked in the chat room, but is being asked directly on Skype. <laughs> so, so I want to introduce it into our conversation because I think it's relevant. Um, you know, because I mentioned the nuclear fear was gone. Um, and that happened in the course of the 90s when pretty much Generation X comes of age. And we started to shape popular culture quite a bit. Uh, again, not stepping into the superstructure of the political arena, but popular culture, we had it. Okay. Um the weird thing about the 90s is that you see a transition, and I'm being asked about the transition into what it is we have today. Well, kind of makes sense because you know what the precursor was? The Umbrella Corporation, the zombie apocalypse because of the escaped virus, because of the escaped chemicals, because – and, I'm yeah, I know I'm throwing video games and the reboot of Dawn of the Dead and the rise of The Walking Dead and all these things come about. Because now, instead of the bomb, you're more worried about the people around you and what they could become infected with one way or another, either psychologically or directly physically, chemically, diseases, so on and so forth. And it's kind of appropriate, actually. What's going on right now makes sense. What are you going to spread fear with? Well, the millennials are growing up at the time that that's all their popular culture is loaded with. So makes perfect sense that this is the time for the virus that's going to get us all. And again, as I stated before, I'm not a, I'm not in living in fear. And I'll tell you the truth. Even if I thought it was a horrific, horrible plague like, you know, uh, e epoch, epoch uh, uh, apocalyptic event that is unfolding right now, uh, fear isn't going to do me any good anyway, personally. So I'm not going for it. Uh, you know, but, but still it's an odd transition. What do you think about that transition though, from the old fashioned, Hey, the bomb is going to kill us to maybe not. It's not the bomb. It's your neighbors. They might be zombies. Um, I think that is a relevant point. Yeah, you know, I um I have a future episode coming on where I speak to a Jungian um named David Merritt whose major work is in uh something he calls eco-psychology, which is Jung, Carl Jung, his um major you know, the thing that he brought to psychology was that, you know, there's individual psychology and there's also group psychology, you know, on a national level, on a, on a tribal level, on a, you know, a human race level. And I really think that, um, we bring these problems on us, <laughs> you know, we, you know, I have no proof of this. This is like more of like a spiritual concept than like something I would 
you know, say is science. Um, it might sound pseudoscientific, but I think we bring certain problems on ourselves as a race or as a species when it's their time. So like, you know, the nuclear threat was speaking to something in humanity during the cold war, you know, this, uh, ecological crises, Australian wildfires or whatnot. And, and now the COVID thing, which is an ecological crisis. It comes from, you know, wet markets and human beings, disastrous and dysfunctional relationship to the natural world, allowing that virus to cross over into the human realm. Um, even Trump is a symptom. Obviously he's a symptom of like the horrible, uh, of the weird dysfunctional political reality in our country. But he's also, you know, it's also, there's something deeper than that. And um, I know I'm being kind of vague here because I'd hate to get any more specific because I don't really have any more specifics. But, you know, it's like, I don't think it's a coincidence that the kind of people that we are have the kind of problems that we have. And um, I'm not being, it's, I'm not saying that to be fatalist or to blame anybody. I'm saying as a human species, we got to get together and figure it out. And that was my uh, conversation with Chuck O'Celli. Covered quite a bit of ground. Talked about the movie The Day After again. Kind of got into my, like, dorm room philosophizing. And uh, talked a little bit about myself and my intentions for this podcast. So thanks for listening. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to Failed State Update. Check me out on Twitter, at Lenny Flatley. Uh, Check out my webpage for more info, LennyFlatley.net.